I've been a fan of racing in this country for a long time, but I've never really felt it gets the respect it deserves from our major broadcasters. Professional race car driver turned analyst Tim Haraney is hoping to change that with one of the biggest broadcasters in this country, TSN. Not only is he their racing analyst, but he's got a podcast on their network. It's a great time to be a fan of Canadian auto racing with two full-time drivers in Formula One in Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi. Not to mention two Canadians looking for full-time rides in IndyCar with James Hinchcliffe and Dalton Kellett, but two very good up-and-comers in the IndyCar development ladder in Parker Thompson and Devlin DeFrancesco. The Canadian Auto Racing Conversation comes your way next, featuring IndyCar and Formula One with TSN racing analyst Tim Haraney here on the Mike Up Matt Podcast. TSN's racing analyst Tim Harani is my guest this week and Tim I've been a racing fan pretty much IndyCar my whole life I got into F1 when Jacques Villeneuve was going for the world championship and I can't remember a network having a racing analyst they've had people who have talked about it and if there's a big crash we'll get the top five at the end of the big crash highlight but um TSN racing analyst. I'm curious how that happens in this country and on network television. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, definitely Matt. I mean, first off, thanks very much for having me on. I I appreciate it. Uh, to answer your question, it, it's it was definitely a long road. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and pour over all of it because we're talking you know, eight or nine years of my life working at trying to make this sort of happen. Um, to make a long story short, I uh, was a professional race car driver. Uh, and eventually, like my sponsor who was paying for a lot of my racing, they sold their company. And so I was uh, without a ride uh, when I got to a very high level in, in motorsports. Uh, and from there, moved back to um, my hometown, which is Peterborough, uh, delivered pizza, uh, worked on a chicken farm, <laughs> and tried to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> and that uh, wasn't easy, or some tough times in there for sure, trying to figure it all out. But uh, I always knew that I loved racing, and I was also at the time instructing, I was teaching people how to race, I was working for different car companies around Canada and North America, uh, I started to get really heavily involved in that side of the industry and helping different auto manufacturers test the product and make the product better. Uh, we started working for tire companies and built those relationships up and uh, started to make a bit of a career for myself. And I was out delivering pizza one night and uh, I ran into, ran into Dan O'Toole uh, he had asked me what I was up to because he was a huge racing fan. And at the time uh, he was working at TSN, he was a reporter, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I was, I was telling him like, you know, this is at the current moment, this is my life. And he said, well, why don't you come in and work for TSN? And I was kind of like, well, I don't really know anything about uh, sports broadcasting and he's like well it's okay you know we can take you through the steps we can teach you and you can learn and, and all those sorts of things so I ended up doing like a sort of like a crash course in in broadcasting and, and journalism and from uh, there I ended up moving on to uh, TSN and I, I started as a I um, uh, can't remember what the name of the position was but it was kind of like a content associate or a story editor sort of position and started to learn how to produce and learn how to write for television and tell stories that also involve other sports. I noticed that TSN had the rights to Formula One yeah. and I felt that that was like a very, that that was like a good sort of starting point for myself because I knew so much about it. Uh, I knew some of the Formula One drivers who I was like watching at the time on television. I'm like, I used to race against a lot of these guys, you know, and <laughs> I'm like, why don't I just lean on these relationships and try to um, create uh, something? And I think at the time, you know, TSN had never had anyone 
uh, like that. And there had never been anyone in Canada who actually really wanted to take on the task of um, making this sport like big in North America, uh, Formula One I'm talking about and, and IndyCar, you know, never was something that was right. really um, dug out. And I think, you know, for myself, I, I noticed um, a fan base there and I, I figured, you know, wh why not try and like dive into this a little more? So I started creating uh, some content on my time off at TSN. So I would go back into TSN and I would start to build stories. And I would build highlight packs. I'd voice them myself. And I was, I was thinking like, hey, you know, maybe I should package all this together, take it to some of the executives at TSN, kind of show them like, hey, this is what you guys have and this is what we can do with it. And so I, I was able to get some meetings and those meetings sort of started to progress and I could show them some things that I was building and working on and saying like, hey, you know, if you guys just give me this opportunity, I really think that, you know, we can, we can grow this. And so TSN was like, you know, great enough to give me the opportunity um, to actually flush all of this out. Um, and then ended up moving on to more of a, more of a full-time uh, position with them and making the stories, making the highlights, uh, going on television. I got to do a lot of radio. Uh, so it was really, really fun. I'm, I'm more doing a, um, uh, a, a more of like a, this is kind of like a part-time thing for, for me at currently, which is, which is fine. It's great. I've been able to do a lot of other uh, really awesome things, but to make a long story as short as I could, that's basically <laughs> how, you know, this has kind of gone down. <laughs> it's, you know, we were talking before we hit record, this industry is just such a networking and who you know industry. And when I think of, you know, you mentioned your driving career, Formula Atlantic, Formula Four, you've got Daytona on your resume, stuff like that. Um, if I've missed anything, you know, you could add it to <laughs> FIA GT championship, a race for Porsche in Italy and all go. across Europe. Uh, yeah. I had a lot of stuff. I did a lot of, a lot of racing it was a part of the Renault driver development program, uh, which puts drivers into formula one. Um, they still have that program today. Yep. Nicholas Latifi was a part of it. Um, oh my gosh. They have so many drivers who are a part of it now. Well, TSN has the F1 rights. They also have the F2 rights, which yeah. the past three years, Nicholas Latifi was the draw for me in Formula 2, but I've been loving the racing there. Um, you're driving around Peterborough. How many times did you not hit the 30-minute limit as a professional race car driver? Because I imagine they would get hot every time. Yeah, I was talking to my girlfriend about this actually a couple of days ago. And I was like, you know what? I don't ever remember a time that I was late on a pizza delivery in all honesty. <laughs> not, because yeah. we had this thing with the with the pizza delivery where it was like 30 minutes or free. And yep. you kind of had to like get your way to these people's houses to get the pizza there on time. So you didn't give it to them for free. And I, was, I remember her and I were talking about it. I'm like, you know what? There was a lot of, I remember there were some arguments that I had to have where I was like, I'm not late. I'm like. 30 seconds before being late, all that kind of stuff. But this was back like before GPS, really. Like we didn't really have like, you didn't really pull up your cell phone and, and be like, oh yeah, um, this is where this house is. You, you had to look at this giant map on the pizza, inside the pizza restaurant. And you had to look at this huge map of Peterborough and you kind of had to like, okay, so Cameron Street is at H9. And then yeah. you go like, H is up here and nine and then you kind of like pulled it up and that just became a maze of even more smaller streets and you had to figure it out and then do it by memory. So yeah, it's, a, it's funny. I, I rarely was I ever late though. Attaboy. Kids, a map <laughs> is a piece of paper with roads. On, anyways. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the question I was going to ask was, um, you know, the networking idea and the selling yourself to, TSN and selling ideas, the race car driver, I mean, that's, that's most of what they do, looking for sponsors, looking for a ride, looking for, you know, anywhere. Like you said, you were in Italy, you were, you know, Renault's development program, you were in the States, you were in Canada, you were, you know, how, how much, just how much of that, I don't think people realize goes into being a, a racing driver. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, people watch a lot of the drivers in the cars and 
they're just thinking, you know, oh, they're just driving them around. Well, first of all, they're athletes. Second of all, they train. They do two-a-days a lot of the time for workout. Uh, they're training when they're not in the car, uh, and it's not a race week. You know, they're training six days a week, uh, one day off for recovery. Uh, then they're also, some of them have to do their own PR, and they just don't have the money to pay a PR firm to go and do their own PR. And then some of them have to go and look for their own sponsors as well. Uh, I was one of those drivers who had to do all of those things. So uh, you learn, you definitely learn a lot. And it's not something you're ever going to learn in school, for sure. It's definitely like one of those uh, street hustles where you learn as you're going along and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, but you have to remember you're going to learn from those mistakes as well. And you really have to put yourself out there. Uh, so for me, I think uh, I was never great at school. Uh, you know, finished high school and that was pretty much it. I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a, a race car driver and, and compete and a competitive person. So I, was, I knew that that was kind of the direction for, uh, for me in my life. But I, I think at the end of the day, I think it was one of the, the greatest things I ever did for myself because of all of the learning and risk taking that you had to do to, to try and make it. So, I mean, if there's anyone out there is watching or, or listening, you know, definitely, um, if you're passionate about something, definitely go after it. Uh, Tim Haraney of TSN, TSN racing analyst, uh, is my guest today. And I mean, you can, you can have the sales pitch, the personality, you can have the sponsor for goodness sake, but, James Hinchcliffe is a walking example of that doesn't always get you a seat. Uh, you know, unfortunately for Canadians, I think there's a rule in IndyCar. You can only have one full-time driver, uh, which if you consider Dalton Kellett full-time this year, but I remember, you know, Paul Tracy was, was the guy for so long. Hinchcliffe came along and Tracy kind of dropped off. Then it was, and you know, that McLaren situation, obviously they bought into the arrow Schmidt Peterson grew the name even longer than it was. Uh, <laughs> and he, he has a Honda sponsorship and they went and moved to Chevy. The writing was kind of on the wall. I get the, we're going to talk paddle award because I love that kid and mm -hmm. all over ask you, but I mean, James Hinchcliffe needs a ride in my opinion next year because the promotion work he does as you said, he comes with a sponsor. I think people, even outside Canada, love him. Even if he doesn't get it, he's killing it on NBC. But, uh, I mean, I, I need to see James Hinchcliffe in a car next year. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to James uh, a few weeks ago um, before the 500, and, you know, we were chatting uh, briefly just about his prospects for either this season or next season. And, you know, he felt that – he may be able to get one more race in this season. I think that'd be great if he's able to do that. And if Genesis, uh, who is the sponsor for the Indy 500 and a few other races this season, if he's able to kind of get them to get on board with one more race, I think that's a positive sign into something that he could roll into a full-time drive for uh, 2021. Uh, I think Andretti really wants to have him back that relationship is still extremely strong. He's always been very successful when he's been with Andretti. I would say he's been more successful with them than any other team he's, he has been with. Yeah, I'd agree. So I would say, you know, if, if anything, they would be really helping and pushing to try and get him back to a full-time ride at the team. It was, it was definitely a shock when I think he found out that, you know, he wasn't going to be back at, at uh, Errol McLaren for 2020. Um, putting Pato Award, Oliver Askew, into those seats it was a, a bold move, for sure, by the team. But they've done such a great job with those young drivers. It's pretty impressive. I mean, both of them have an amazing amount of talent. And I think one of the, one of the people behind the scenes who – we don't necessarily really focus on who I think we should is Robert Wickens because he's doing a lot behind the scenes working with those two, two young drivers. And, you know, Robert was a, he is, I should say a driver who just got IndyCar. I mean, he's naturally talented driver, but right. I think a lot of what happened with DTM and IndyCar is they were very comparable in terms of driving styles. 
I think that really helped Robert when he jumped into IndyCar right away and made him super successful. I mean, it also helps that he's extremely talented as well. Uh, and I'm very excited to see him get back into a race car, in all honesty. And I'm going to love that day when it happens. Uh, but right now, behind the scenes, I think uh, he's definitely a guy, a driver who we should be talking about more because I think he's doing more at that team than we know of. Uh, you always see him with the headset on. They call him, I think, a driver coach. We've seen that with, you know, Dario Franchitti, I think, did that with Ganassi, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a few other drivers who retired earlier than they probably should have due to injury, crash, whatever. And the scene in Toronto when he got in that souped-up – was it an Acura or Audi? Yeah, yeah, uh, it was an Acura. Oh, my goodness, was <laughs> chills and, you know – uh, his his girlfriend beside him, you know, go slow and, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was just, it was so good to see. And, you know, I, I, again, follow Canadian race car drivers and to see him come from Europe, like you said, um, you've driven, you know, open wheel, closed reel, Nissan Micra. How, how different is that is different feel. Cause I've got Parker Thompson in my notes too. And he did like four races. The last time Toronto was a track and three podiums in a Porsche GT car, cup car. And uh, I think it was Indy pro back then, but I mean, three out of four podiums on just a, a difficult, difficult track with bumps and barriers and no grip and everything else in two completely different cars. Yeah. I think Parker was also, I think Parker also did uh, some stuff with Audi Canada and he was driving, I believe it was the Audi R8 race car in the Canadian Touring Car Championship last season as well. Um, of course, why not? Yeah, I think, I think pretty sure that's what it was. And he won a bunch of stuff. I can't remember if he won that championship or not. I'm pretty sure he probably did because every time he was in that car, he was winning. Wow. Um, but yeah, he's definitely just a super talented <laughs> racing driver. And to uh, make those transitions into different types of, of race cars is... Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to do because you get a feeling for an open wheel car, which is really stiffly sprung and um, it kind of feels like it's all around you and, and you're, and you're kind of one with, with that particular race car because it doesn't, it doesn't move a lot. It doesn't have a ton of body roll. And, and since it's so stiff, you can kind of really predict sometimes what it's going to do and you get that feeling and sense of confidence uh, with it because of the downforce as well. Uh, the physical aspect of it is extremely high, though, because you have so much downforce that's pressing into the ground. You know, you're having to kind of muscle and throw this thing around into corners, around corners, uh, out of corners, catching, catching, catching the car a lot. And the physical aspect of it is extremely high. Uh, I think with some of the with the closed wheel cars, the GT cars, some of them have. Well, actually, I think a lot of them have power steering, so it doesn't really make a huge huge difference uh with that i think the biggest thing is the body roll and how much the car actually rolls through the corner and it's not as stiffly sprung so you don't kind of feel as as one with it the first time you kind of get into it uh but eventually the more time you get with the race car the more you kind of like learn what it does how to make it go fast it just takes some some time and a lot of practice yeah i just like i said watching you know, uh, for me, when I see Indy Pro, uh, Indy 2000, I think they call it now that, that mm -hmm. Mazda dropped out. Um, Parker Thompson, if I'm not mistaken, was supposed to run Indy Lights this year. And that program didn't run. So he's getting an extra year at Indy Pro. Uh, these are supposed to be learning on the job with, you know, in the car that hopefully you'll be driving professionally one day with all the eyes on you. And jumping back and forth like i said on a difficult track different and you said he's driving a third completely different car that he's having to learn and learn the track and it, to me that is just i mean it speaks to how good parker thompson is and is going to be but like i just don't see how i would be able to you know <laughs> i barely passed the g test in ontario on on the 400 so like what am i gonna do yeah one of the big things is like starting off when you're really young and making sure you're doing your go-karting when you're you know eight or nine years old and that's extremely important uh, i know that's like when i kind of really got started um 
and just having an understanding of different types of go-karts that you drive. I mean, when you first start off racing, you know, you learn a lot about the racing line and then you kind of learn how to race with other drivers and you, you learn those drivers tendencies and then you start to learn about, Hey, this is kind of a big game of chess here and you need to find their weak points where they're, where they're weak, where they're strong, where you're strong and, and where you're weak and exploit all of that. And when you're young, you know, you kind of start, you learn those things a lot, which is very, very important uh, when coming up through racing. Seldomly do you have a driver who's a little older who just kind of jumps into racing, do really well, because you have to learn how to work with the machine. You have to learn racing lines. You have to learn techniques. You have to learn different driving styles. One of the big things I think um, that's probably very beneficial for a driver like Parker Thompson is driving different race cars i know that was one of the biggest things that really helped me is uh, driving as much as you can and driving different types of vehicles because you have to learn how to drive these things differently it takes different techniques and sometimes you're going to get into like say a formula race and you know you're going to have one type of car for qualifying you're going to have a totally different type of race car uh, for the race and it's all about that adaptation sure. process of how can you adapt to something that's different and do it quickly and by quickly i mean within like a few laps <laughs> i mean you know we've seen a driver like lewis hamilton just most recently do that at the austrian grand prix i believe it was the first race of the season and they were telling him to stay off the curbs halfway through the race and you could see how within two laps he had shifted his driving style and how it took valtteri bottas his teammate a few more laps to kind of make those adjustments and so that's what i'm talking about when in terms of like changing that driving style just how important that is and uh circling back and bringing it back to to parker thompson you know i mean he's a i think he's one of the most talented racing drivers we have in canada for sure not taking anything away from our current uh top of the echelon racing drivers because you know, those guys are you know, really, really talented as well. But I think he's a, he's a racing driver who I would love to see climb the racing ladder for sure. Uh, more on them in a bit, because I do want to talk about the IndyCar season and F1. Um, I've been fascinated this year by the manufacturers battle in IndyCar because they Honda and Chevy, I mean, there's rumors that Ferrari's going to come in. I'm enjoying it just the way that it is right now. Uh, Iowa, you know, they had doubleheader in Iowa. The first race, four of the top five were Chevy. They, they dominated. Chevy dominated Iowa, three of the top four in the second race. But then you go to Indy 500, eight of top ten were Honda. And then uh, last weekend, Worldwide Technology Raceway, four of the top five Hondas in the first race, and Chevy owned the top four in the second race. And looking back on this rivalry between the two in IndyCar, it, it was never really that black and white for me, especially when you look at the same track, the same style of track. You know, Honda would be one place. Chevy, you go to a different track, and this is Chevy's weekend. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd be interested to get your take on the constructors' battle, if you will, in IndyCar between Honda and Chevy. Yeah, that's what makes that Constructors Championship in IndyCar so interesting, isn't it? Just those two auto manufacturers who just battle it out every single uh, weekend and IndyCar races on. And I think both of them do such a tremendous job. And literally, they're separated by tenths of a second. You know, it's not like they're separated by, you know, two, three, four, five seconds, right? It's an entire it's lap in Spain. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like a few tenths of a second, which yeah. is incredible. Um, and the amount of work that those two auto manufacturers put into their program is really impressive. I mean, to see how close they were at the 500 is, you know, they're off by a few miles an hour, really, at the end of the day. And that's not a lot. But it really isn't. And it's something that I think for an auto manufacturer like Honda, they could find that for sure. I mean, for next season, no problem. One of the things uh, that I think they're going to start running into and probably within the next season is where the limit is on the development of this uh, engine platform is uh, with what they're running now. And I think they're really starting to bump up against just how far they can kind of take that tech, that technology. And the fact of the matter is it's like, what is a V6 twin turbo and the amount of horsepower there already getting out of it you know talking to joseph newgarden he's saying that there's probably more horsepower coming for next season which i find extremely 
that's you know incredible that's because wild. yeah you know you're you're talking getting close to like a thousand horsepower with just a little v6 you know twin turbo engine like yeah and a car, car of, that weighs a lunchbox exactly and yeah. the amount of power they're getting just from that is absolutely amazing <laughs> Uh, but to watch this battle this season between the two auto manufacturers has been impressive. And just to see where all the strengths and weaknesses do lie. I mean, I'm excited to see if Ferrari does come on board and what they're able to do. Uh, I think they can bring a lot to the show for sure and push, uh, push everyone a little bit further. But if that were to happen, I mean, IndyCar would definitely start to skyrocket. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and I think they need it too. The champ car IRL split. Every time I talk to my dad, I mean, I, kind of knew it was going on but not really i was too young of a fan back then i just i just loved when IndyCars came to toronto and you know that really looking back on it now hurt the sport more than i think anybody realized at the time and even now like my dad just says he wouldn't go to a race because there's a field of 10 and no one knows who they are mm -hmm. and um you know so like you say to get an uh even a name like ferrari to come in to get that interest, get that excitement. I I'm with you. I think that'd be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that split really hurt not only. And we're series. like, sorry, we're still talking like 20 years or 15, 20 years yeah. when, yeah. you know, IndyCar came back in the format. It is 2008, I believe 2007. Yeah. It, it just shows you just how long for sports and stuff when you have that fracture. Um, and when you have such, uh, so many things start to disturb uh, the sport itself, just how hard it is to kind of come back from something like that. I mean, we're kind of seeing something with, like that with the uh, major league baseball, you know, coming yeah. into this season and all of the, the different types of uh, problems that they were running into with what, what was it? The uh, players players association or whatever it was. I mean, right. I'm speaking yep. at a term here, obviously, but <laughs> I mean, it is something that does, that's something similar to kind of what happened with the split between IndyCar into champ car, right. And then into cart, I should say, and then into champ car. So, I mean, I think they're on the right path. They've, they're definitely showing signs of very uh, big growth. Uh, their TV numbers are at an all-time high. Um, every year, the sport has grown on for TV viewership. And I think the next part will have to be digitally. I think they really need to start looking at what they're doing with their digital platforms a bit closer. Um, but once they start getting things sorted out, now that Roger Penske's on board and Penske production is there, uh, I really think this sport's going to take another another giant step for next season. Uh, it's interesting you talk TV numbers. I, I'm not in the business of getting my guests fired. You work for TSN. <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> it's Sportsnet that has the, uh, the IndyCar rights. And, you know, to have races, and I know they were supposed to be Sportsnet World, which is kind of paywall and, you know, NBC Gold in the States. The pandemic hits. There's no, uh, there's no sports on it's interesting. I was talking to a lacrosse guest who got games on NBC main network because they were Olympic time slots and the Olympics were canceled to get IndyCar racing on honest to goodness, NBC in the States on a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon, whatever it is. Uh, and Sportsnet, you know, 360 most of the time here in Canada where fans can discover it by accident when they're so starving. Um, you know, I, I just, I was thrilled as an IndyCar fan to see, you know, honest, I don't have to pay for this. Someone could stumble on it by flipping channels and, you know, obviously great for IndyCar. Yeah, for sure. I, and I think uh, it's great for, great for everyone in all honesty. It's uh, to sport that, you know, people in Canada really do love and, it has a really diehard fan base. Like it really does. And um, I do a lot of contributing to uh, a site called champ web. And we do a lot of interviews with a lot of drivers. And not only do we get a lot of Canadian fans who um, offer feedback or they share things or they talk to us about things. We get a lot of American people as well, which is, showing signs of how it's how it's starting to grow which is a great thing and 
like I was saying, you know, I think like the more that IndyCar can really lean on their own digital platforms, I think the more we're going to see this, this sport really start to take off. Uh, this is kind of a loaded question here, but <laughs> how, how good is Scott Dixon? Fit, you know, 50th win. Yeah. Just ran off the first three after this massive break. Uh, triple, di- triple digit lead in the championship. Like, yeah, this, this guy's unreal. Yeah, he's absolutely incredible. I mean, he's one of those drivers who I think a lot of us will always say he, he never really got a shot at Formula One, and a lot of us really do feel that if anyone was going to get a get a taste of F1, it should have been Scott Dixon for sure because that guy is absolutely incredible. And one of the things I think that makes him so incredible is that when he when he gets the lead of a race, even if he doesn't qualify on pole or he's not in the in the in the first or second row of IndyCar. He always finds a way of sealing the deal and getting the win, if that makes any sense. And one of the things he is so good at is that adaptability, which I was speaking about earlier, of how, you know, as a racing driver, you, you really do need to adapt your driving style to what's happening. And the faster you can do that and still be quick is going to pay huge dividends within the race even like the the smallest things make a huge impact with racing and the thing with scott is he's so good at managing all of that and really managing a race and taking control that you know he's he's unstoppable and i i can see him winning the championship this season no problem and and you talked about adaptability i was going to comment before like not not only is it adaptability like the track changes as it rubbers in but part of the rubbering in of the track is the rubbering out of the tires and the fuel load goes down and in indycar it goes up and down as opposed to f1 where it just you're lighter at the end of the race uh and you know a driver's adaptation to that i've seen so many young drivers who are losing almost a second a lap because they can't deal with tire fall off yeah 100 uh, percent. And, and also remember that you know, the tires are extremely cold when they're leaving pit lane. And that's another factor that you have to put into all this. And one of the most important things that I was always taught that still remains consistent today is your in-lap and your out-lap. Those are uh, extremely two very crucial things. And trying to handle an indie car on cold tires is absolutely impossible. I mean, I'm surprised we don't see more crashes from it, but that just is a testament to just how good these drivers are. But that's another aspect that I was talking about of, in terms of, you know, the, all the little things that make winning an Indy car so difficult is managing those little things, even just an in-lap and an out-lap. Well, how many races does Ryan Hunter Ray have in his career? And I believe it was Iowa twice. Yeah. He hit the same yeah. uh, in infield wall on trying to get the power down coming out of pit lane. Anyways, Scott Dixon and Takuma Sato. It, it was interesting this year because normally we come out of the Indy 500 and we go to Detroit for the double header, which is, a, I mean, cannot be any more different of a track being the street circuit and, you know, the bumps and barriers we talked about before. But we get to see, we go from Indy 500 to another oval, be it, you know, a one and a quarter mile. But we got to see the Scott Dixon-Takuma Sato battle after Takuma wins his second Indy 500. That, for me, over the next two days was fascinating, and it created this rivalry, and it created drama. When we start to put together the schedule for next year, would you like to see them go back to another oval? I mean, I'm, I'm a dual in Detroit guy as much as anybody, but mm-hmm. I just, I just thought the storyline aspect of coming back to an oval outside of the Indy 500 was mm-hmm. created some awesome drama. Yeah, no, I think it was, I think it was good. And I think that's definitely something that IndyCar is going to have to consider with the 2021 schedule, which actually should be released uh, if I'm not mistaken in the next uh, month or so. But that'll be an important thing that they're going to have to consider is because you're also trying to keep the fan interest high as well after the 500. Sometimes the duel in Detroit just doesn't really cut it. You know, having <laughs> two races back to back like that where it's a Saturday and a Sunday, I mean, uh, that's kind of something I would like to see either early in the season or 
maybe a little later in the season when the stakes are, are higher and, and the championship is more at stake at that point. I think, you know, having like a race at Richmond, just something that's going to be bonkers, just a crazy, <laughs> crazy race that's going to fall to 500. And that's going to keep your fan attention, right? Like the duel in Detroit is like, ah, the track, you know, it's really bumpy. It's hard to pass. There's not like a yeah. ton of action. I mean, there's, there's action, but I mean, there's not like, there's not crazy finishes in Detroit. There, there, right. there is, and let's be honest. I mean, you kind of want to see something that's going to just keep ride that wave of momentum where you don't lose that Indy 500 fan and you kind of hold them on for the rest of the season. And I think that's something really important they're going to have to take a look at coming up with this new schedule. Maybe, maybe I'm just grew up in Toronto and I'm used to the race that we have here, but um, there, there's something about street racing for me. I, I'm with you. It, sometimes it looks like a, 85 lap parade you're not wrong and the pit strategy that comes into play there you you and I I think get that but someone who's tuning in you know as I said before by accident may not as I've had different people watching races they're like they're just they're just following each other what's happening mm. <laughs> um yeah but the, the other thing too is like we're into you know obviously the Indy 500 is not in August every year it's in May but you're getting right up to go time in NASCAR too and to compete with that on a Sunday that's just not going to happen south of the border yeah I think if we can start to get more races where NASCAR and IndyCar kind of come together for like super weekends I think that's going to be very beneficial for both series I think also if we can start to get IMSA involved as well Ooh. Uh, and try and get like some sort of a super race weekend happening where there's, you know, you've got IndyCar, you've got USF 2000, you've got Indy Pro 2000, you've got the uh, Indy Lights Championship, and then you've got all the NASCAR trucks, uh, Xfinity, then you've got the Cups, and then have like a night night race with IMSA where it goes from like 6 p.m. till 7 in the morning type of deal like just something really crazy where it's just non-stop I think that would be I think that would be very very beneficial for all of the series because you're going to get the IndyCar fan who's going to come in and they're going to start watching the NASCAR races come and come up and then maybe that leads to, to IMSA now you've got all of these new sort of fans that are cross platforming which i think is in this time in this day and age is extremely extremely important um and then trying to find a way of tapping into the younger generation as well at the mm -hmm. same time is is, re is really important i mean we've seen f1 start to do it now already and um it's working out really well for them um i love the idea by the way that would be <laughs> as a racing fan that's just it's like Christmas. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> Christmas, Easter, and everything. We're all into one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we, we did touch on uh, Pato Award and Oliver Askew. Mm -hmm. the, the driving that Pato Award is doing this year, like, let's not forget, these are the last two um, Indy Lights champions, 2018, 2019. And, you know, they didn't just get a ride be, to save money or whatever it oh. might have been. Um, when I think of Paddle Awards season last year, like he did a couple IndyCar races. He went off to Japan. He was in the F1 development program. He, you know, he comes back and now he's rookie of the year at Indy. He's however many top fives and tens he's got. And just putting Podium, on a show. Yeah, putting on a show in, in Road America. And some of these oval yeah. races, like the the run he had in Iowa, if it was 10 more laps, I'm sure he gets the win. But um, just if you can touch a bit more on his driving, because I've just been so impressed and I can't wait to watch more of this kid. Yeah, Pato's been awesome. Just absolutely awesome. And don't want to take anything away from Oliver Askew either because he's been incredible as well as a rookie. I mean, Pato definitely – classified as a rookie for the indy 500 but i don't really think he you know is it is a rookie well Fernando Alonso was too <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah Alonso so. too. 
Well, it's a little different for Alonzo because he doesn't spend all his time in IndyCar, right? I mean, like, Pato's <laughs> yeah. been in IndyCar for right. a year. Okay. He's been in IndyCar for quite a while. And I don't really classify him as a, as a rookie per se, but this being his full season in IndyCar, he has been absolutely incredible to watch. He's done such a great job uh, just following everything that he's done. I mean, I was uh, – I wasn't surprised in all honesty because I know the talent that Pato has and the drive and determination that he also has as well. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I think the engineering group at Aero McLaren uh, SP has done, I think that has been awesome as well. I mean, they, the whole team has been great uh, since they hit the ground running. I mean, obviously Texas was a bit of a mistake for them and, then they had a few more bumps in the road, but like you said, you know, as soon as Road America hit, they've been they've found something within the car and within the drivers, and they've been absolutely incredible. Um, you know, Pato's a Pato's an IndyCar champion for the future. You know what I mean? Like he's sure. he's showing it already. He's third in the championship. Uh, he's he's taken it to some of these veteran drivers. He's pretty fearless <laughs> when you look at some of the things that he has done and all that bodes really well for his future and just working with the team as well and, and, and the media, you know, he's, he is very, very good with the media as well. I mean, I've, I know Pato outside of IndyCar, um, but whenever we do do interviews, he's, uh, he always gives great quotes and very strong stuff that you want to always use. Like sometimes I, I did one interview with him a little while ago and he had given me so much great stuff that I was just like, what do I keep? And like, what do I get rid of? <laughs> yeah. Because it was like one of those decisions where it's like, Oh my God, this is all great sound. You know, what do I... so uh, as a whole, I think, you know, he's, he's a star. He's a, he's a driver of the future for sure. Uh, before we move on from IndyCar here, uh, can you evaluate the season of Dalton Kellett where we are sure. at this point? Um, yeah. I, I know you're able to. I'm just asking, you know, the results haven't really been what they are. I know it's his first season. I know yeah. in, Indy Lights was mostly, you know, he had a couple podiums there. But every time I saw him, it was kind of near the back of what was a six-car field. Uh, how, how do you evaluate that and what is your evaluation? Yeah, I think, uh, Dalton's done a really good job. I think this season, I mean, starting off, it was a little eye opening for him, I think. Uh, and I think there was a lot of people within the, within the paddock and within the media that really thought that he might've been out of his element going into the 500, but once he got into like rookie orientation uh you know and then he got into practices i mean he really held his own even in qualifying he qualified fernando alonso i mean the guy's a two-time formula one world champion he's done right. the indy 500 i mean he's been in in an indy car going around the 500 a lot more than dalton has that's for sure <laughs> and i think he surprised a lot of people by where he qualified for the 500 one of the things i think that's holding him back is just seat time just getting more time within an Indy car and getting comfortable. He's running a very limited program. He's not running a full season. Yeah. I think uh, once the pandemic uh, hit and, and quarantine hit, I mean, that really, that really affects a driver in a big way because you're, you're getting some, you're getting a taste of Indy car and then you're off and you're out of the, you're removed from the vehicle for what, how long, four or five months. And that's, that's really hard to adjust to, to try and come back from something like that. And I think for, for Dalton doing a lot of the sim racing that helped, that helped a ton. I think that really helped a lot more than a lot of people think. And um, I hope he can try and pull off a full season for next year because it's all about learning uh, with IndyCar. And a lot of these drivers don't really see success until, you know, year two, year three, year four, because it takes so much learning uh, to get uh, the confidence and, 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 and to get an understanding of how the car handles and, and to work with engineers. So I think for Dalton, it's just going to take a bit more time, but I, I'm happy with how the season went. I'm, I, I think he is too. Uh, I was one of the guys that thought he was out of his element, but not necessarily with the Indy <laughs> 500. 
um, because, you know, freedom, the freedom 100, he was a pole sitter at one point. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, podium a couple years ago, last year, he's uh-huh. always run well at a indie, but for me, it was the other, the other events that, you know, I was kind of worried about. So the indie, the indie 500 performance to me was just, you know, not, not necessarily expected, but I was happy with and not overly surprising, but it's the, it was the rest of them that I kind of thought I would like to see maybe one more year, obviously with Indy lights being out, you know, he's not going to Indy pro. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, this is it, right? This is the, this is the top of the mountain in terms of professional, uh, you know, motorsports when it comes to open wheel racing, there's formula one and there's IndyCar, right? There's nothing, nothing really outside of that. So, (laughs) I mean, for him to have gotten this far, absolutely incredible because it's not easy. Trust me. I know. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, for the, it's like I said, you know, some people just don't really understand that, uh, sometimes for a racing driver, you have that talent, but you get into a new series and things start to get really difficult because you're either overloading yourself with too much information or that right there is kind of setting you back from allowing something to just click. And it's Mm. like that with, I think that with any sport, you see an athlete who kind of struggles a bit when they're first starting off. And then all of a sudden they make this huge leap and it's kind of like, well, whoa, where did that come from? Well, it really just comes down to like something just clicks. They find that just that little, little something that just makes everything come together. And that like escalates their career. Um, I think like for a driver like Dalton, it's, it's maybe something similar to that where it's just, you know, he's got all these pieces to the puzzle and he's starting to kind of like put it together and then boom, he's out of the car for three weeks. And it's just like, well, now you can't really do anything at all. Can you, right? You're removed from the situation. It's not like going and playing football where you throw the football like all the time and you can eventually will figure it out. It's, it's, you're driving a race car at like incredible speeds and then you're getting removed from all of it. That's it. It's not easy. It's just, it's not you know you need to be in the car as much as possible when you're a young driver starting out uh i do want to get to some f1 final question about indycar which driver is going to get a championship ride not one of these andretti takes eight cars and if you show up with the right ticket you get a ride but uh fernando alonso or jeff gordon threw out the name of jimmy johnson that he wants to try an indy 500 he's tested IndyCar, he wants to run a few races. Do you see something like that being a possibility? I know Fernando wants the Indy 500 jewel in the crown to go with everything else on his resume, but is there something to the Jimmy Johnson? Or I think at the end of this Indy 500, we've seen the last of Fernando Alonso for a few years for sure. He's definitely not going to be back within the next two years. There is no way that's going to be possible. Um, But a driver like Jimmy Johnson – Absolutely. I could see him saddling up next season for sure. Uh, Talking to a bunch of my friends who were close to the situation during his test run that he had at uh, IMS, he got out of the car and he didn't want to leave. So, I mean, that's a sign right there that you know that I I can see this guy doing a full season of IndyCar for sure. Uh, Which unfortunately means he he would be done in NASCAR, which we already knew, but pandemic, you know, there was uh, so on and so forth. Anyways, we Mm -hmm. talked about Scott Dixon in IndyCar with Tim Harani, the TSN racing analyst. Uh, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes are just next level this year. And for so many, for so long, I was kind of okay, but, you know, not really with the top six, you fight out for the podium. The rest of us will get the other four points. Somehow I feel worse about Hamilton (laughs) and Bottas, you go for the win, and the rest of us will sort out the next eight positions for points. I should feel okay with the parody in the rest of the field, but you know, what, what is it about, about that? And where do you stand on it? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us need to understand that, you know, Mercedes has a huge budget. Ferrari has a huge budget. Uh, Red Bull's budget's pretty decent as well. And Mercedes just beat everybody. They literally just had, they outperformed everyone. They've made a car that, it's an absolute monster and 
no one else was good enough. Like, let's be honest here. It's a team sport and you run what you brung. And this is what these, a lot of these drivers have to race with. And it's just, it is what it is, you know, and Lewis Hamilton also being probably the driver of our generation. And you pair that with one of the greatest teams of all time and you're going to get dominance. And that's what it is. I mean, it's everyone said, well, this is boring and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like these guys, you know, these, these teams, they did what they did and this is what we've got. And I think you need to appreciate what you're seeing from Lewis Hamilton at times. Uh, I mean, there was, uh, I think it was Q3, his first run uh, in spa this past weekend, he was like five tenths clear of everybody, including Bottas. And it, that was in one lap, and I was blown away by that right. because no one could match it. And it's kind of like, I mean, the guy's incredible. Like, he's incredible. And, 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 and on a track like that, sorry, sorry, Tim, I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off, but a track like that where there's so much on the gas, like you could make up time into a corner, out of a corner. Spa is not really like that. I, I've never raced there except for, you know, the F1 video game, but uh with the assists on because <laughs> that is what i could get around the track with but you know we're <laughs> we're we're coming up to monza which is another like there there's time to make make up you know into and out of the chicanes but other than that you're you're flat out like i just think we're gonna see it again yeah absolutely definitely gonna see it again i mean there's no question have to see what happens with a lot of the um uh, the engine modes that they've taken away, that the FIA has taken away for this coming weekend. Um, I'm not too sure how that's going to benefit anyone. Uh, I think Mercedes is still going to have the advantage, be, you know, simply because they've made a, an incredible engine uh, and an incredible car as well. I mean, it, it all goes hand in hand. You have to have, you have to have a great driver. You have to have a great car and you have to have a great engine sometimes. And that's why I think a lot of us are just really waiting for 2021 or 2022 to come around uh, just when we have that technical rule regulation change. And then 2023, I think that's definitely going to be a season we all are going to want to watch. Well, I'll hang on until then. How about that? Yeah, yeah unfortunately, <laughs> three years away. <laughs> well, I've lasted this long, so I, I should be okay. Yeah, it's true, it's true. Uh, if there's one thing I love, it's it's a good F1 soap opera. And man, this... It, <laughs> This season has been full of them with the uh, Renault Racing Point One, but I mean we're headed to Italy for two back-to-back -back races, and Ferrari's not even close. Uh, this is the mess of all messes, and you know if they poop the bed this weekend, you know I I just don't know what's going to happen at Monza. With it, it's it's kind of sad for me to sit here and talk about that because. Ferrari at Monza in F1, Sebastian Vettel. They've got a young up-and-coming driver in Leclerc. And, you know, I wanted to talk to you about Renault, but let's start with Ferrari. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's pretty straightforward with Ferrari, Matt. They, you know, they whatever they did to the engine last season, they've got their hands slapped uh, and they've had to take away or redo the engine. And they've lost probably close to a second worth of worth of time and power with that engine and they've also made a car that is horrendous to drive just looking at these onboard mm -hmm. cameras from Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc I think Leclerc has been able to adapt to it a little faster than Vettel has uh, but again that still doesn't give the driver much confidence to actually go out and push when the thing's very unpredictable and that's exactly what it looks like uh they are they're in a tough spot and they're going to be there for another year uh for sure until we get that rules and regulation change like i had mentioned so don't be surprised if you see this exact same thing happen next season the bigger interest is what's going to happen with like matteo bonotto is he going yeah. to stay at the team or are the executives going to let him go and bring someone else in again? Because we just had another team principal <laughs> restructuring with Maurizio Riva Bene and now you're on to number two and he doesn't look like he's going to last very long. He hasn't 
dealt well with the relationship between himself and Vettel. He let that driver feud in 2019 get well out of hand. I felt he didn't manage that well, and that's one of his jobs. I mean, let's be honest. When you move into a team principal role, not only do you have to manage the team, you have to manage your drivers because these guys are competitive athletes and they don't really care about one another. They're there to win and they're there for themselves. And obviously they're there for the team as well because it looks good on everybody. But as a racing driver, you know, your teammates, the the first one you want to beat. And when things start to get out of hand, it's the team principal's job to come in and cool things down. So I feel like he didn't do well with that. And obviously they got caught, you know, cheating that's what you want to call it whatever it was uh they got busted for it and we're seeing the results of it it's just it's not pretty it's not going to be pretty it's they're in for a tough couple of years and it's it's probably not getting any better anytime soon is there a difference between whatever was going on with their engine and we'll never know versus the the brake duct issue with racing point because the the you know, as far as I understood it, which obviously could be wrong, but the FIA basically said you can't unlearn what you know and allowed them to race with their brake ducts. For me, I would look at the engine situation with Ferrari and say, okay, fine points, whatever, but you can't unlearn what you know. And and I don't know, in, in my head, it was kind of, you're, you're forcing them to take basically a five-year step back, two years in, in terms of research and development, and three more to catch up to the regulation change. Uh, yeah, well, I, well I'll, sorry to cut you off, Matt, but I think like no, no. Well, one of the key issues here is like with the brake ducts with Racing Point, uh, that's something that was already learned and known about before those got put on the listed parts. So they kind of already knew what was going on and then they kind of just redeveloped them a little bit more uh, to make them better, in all honesty. Um, with Ferrari, uh, I'm just going to assume at this and so take it for whatever it's worth. <laughs> I think one of the things is maybe what was going on with that engine is that they were finding a way of getting more oil into the actual combustion chamber to help uh, ramp things up a little bit more. Okay. And it was either like some sort of an oil drop-off system where excess oil was going and then they were able to kind of reuse that within the engine. And, you know, something like that is, yes, that's you can't unlearn that. But at the same time, it's like all you need to do is just figure out if you're the FIA, where it's coming from, how are they doing it, and just shutting it down right away. So it's something that you can't really uh, exploit anymore. You can't reuse that. It's It's gone. Um so maybe that was something I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of just still to this Gen- day trying to. It is. I mean, it that... is absolutely brilliant. But I I'm still to this day trying to figure out what it was, and I think I think that's why all the other teams want to know. They 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 really want to know what they were doing. So, uh, and so do the fans, and so does you know everyone does. So it's, <laughs> I mean, will we ever find out? I'm sure one day, but for this. For this moment, we all kind of have to, I guess, theorize. Well, the the book will come out, and it'll be <laughs> there'll be a, a couple chapters, I think. Yeah, uh, two, two questions before I let you go. I know we're yeah. running a bit long here. I apologize, yeah, okay. but oh, no, uh, Renault was fantastic last week in Spa, mm-hmm. fourth and fifth place. And again, like I said, we're going to another high speed, uh, long drawn out straightaways. Do you expect more from the same from Renault as we get into Monza here, or are, are the other teams going to maybe catch up, maybe find something? Um, I, 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 I would be under the assumption Renault could be in a spot to repeat the performance. Yeah, they're definitely going to be in a spot to repeat what they did at Spa for sure. I think uh, we're going to see some really close battles between that midfield pack again. Um, I think once Renault starts to move on to like a track like Mugello, Russia, something that's a little slower speed. They're, they're going to be in a bit of trouble, I think, unless they can bring some upgrades to the car that are going to help suit the handling for those particular racetracks. Um, but yeah, they, they, the car runs really well when it's trimmed out. The engine run, runs really well when it's, when, it's, uh, when it's at a power track and then the drivers feel comfortable pushing it to the limit because they can feel the car more. 
but again, you know, I think like once they start to get it to slower, twistier kind of racetracks, they might not be as competitive unless they bring some more upgrades. Uh, I never thought I would live to see the day there'd be more full-time Canadians in F1 than there were yeah. in IndyCar, but yeah. he- here we are. Lance Stroll proving that it wasn't daddy's money that got him here with Racing Point. He's right up there with whatever we consider to be best of the rest these days. And Nicholas Latifi, on the same token as Dalton Kellett, I ask you again to evaluate his first year in F1. I was so impressed with his last couple of years in mm. Formula 2. And I always thought it was the car, but looking at what Dams is doing now, you know, Sean Galeo, I expected more from him. Dams kind of dropped off. And, mm. you know, Sergio Sete Cabra now in Formula E. And, you know, Nicholas Latifi, unfortunately, I don't know if unfortunately is the right term because he's got an F1 ride and you and I are sitting here talking. But, (laughs) uh, you know, it is in a Williams and it is kind of back of the grid stuff. But uh, just a couple of comments if you have them on Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi as we talk uh, Canadian racers. Yeah, I think, you know, for Lance, it's like I've always said and I've been saying it for years now extremely talented driver uh getting the right opportunity at the right time and having to learn when he was starting off i mean learning the pirelli tire i think was a bit of a challenge uh for him and i think that affected the qualifying and i think that's something that teams who he were was driving with or racing with never spent the time to actually really uh help him along or coach him with that but the talent was always there it was never going anywhere I think once making that move to racing point uh i think that's that first season there taught him a lot i think the engineering staff there has worked really well with him to help him get the confidence to uh, really push and be competitive in qualifying racing was never an issue with lance he was always great when it came time to race Uh, that's no question about it but the qualifying for me this season has been spectacular from him uh, to make the leaps and bounds and to get that confidence back has been incredible because it's not easy to do that. And sometimes when a driver's confidence gets shaken, especially with qualifying, sometimes you never get that back. So that you never come, sometimes you can never come back from that. And to see uh, his progression and just how, you know, competitive he's been in qualifying, especially matched up against Perez, who's an amazing qualifier in himself. He's really showing us that, like, hey, that this is a driver we we need to pay a little more attention to now. And and uh, I think, I think the media will start to warm up to him a little bit more, and we'll start to see some more positive articles on him, uh, which are are due. Let's be honest; you have to give the guy his due, and he's definitely. Uh, showing us that this season as for for nicholas you know a tough situation going from formula two into a team like williams not to not to bash williams at all because they're a team that's really fighting to come back from where they were i think they've done an amazing job at at coming back um they're now in a situation where they're fighting with like a Haas team, an Alfa Romeo team, and now apparently a Ferrari team, which is a, which is pretty crazy that we're actually saying that in the year 2020. Yeah. Um, but for, for Nicholas, you know, coming into that situation, a lot of people would sit here and say that, you know, you got to feel bad for him because he's in a team that's like battling at the back of the grid. But I don't see it that way. I think this is a great opportunity for him to learn how to work with a team to move a race car forward. And that's one of the things that a lot of drivers don't get a chance to do is really be in a race car when it's not very good at all. And you have to work with your engineering staff to make it better and to make yourself better. And for you to learn that in an ill handling race car, you are going to need to adapt different driving styles uh, and different techniques to get the speed out of the car. Now, learning all of that is a very important thing because as you start to progress, and, and let's say you know he hangs on in Formula One and he either makes a jump to another team um, that is a little more competitive or the Williams team takes another step up, his driving and his maturity level within the race car is going to take a huge leap forward, and we're going to see him be so competitive 
because of all those things that he's learned during those tough times. So I don't see it as a bad thing that he's with Williams. I think he's learned a lot. Um, you know, I will say there have been a few races where I've been a little disappointed, and I think he has been as well. Uh, and there's been some qualifying sessions where I really thought that he had George on the ropes and either another driver in front of him, uh, you know, messes up his lap or he just messes it up himself. And I think once he kind of gets qualifying really – uh, really wrapped around his finger, uh, he's going to take it to George for sure because I think Nicholas has been one of those racing drivers who's never had a teammate who is not competitive. He's always had a teammate who's incredibly talented. I mean, we go down a list, Alex Albon, Oliver Rowland. I mean, those, those two right there, those are incredible racing drivers. So uh, for, for Nicholas, I think he's done well so far. And Honestly, I think he's going to I think he's going to really surprise a lot of people if he's he's able to hang around in F1. All right, I'll get you out of here with one quick one as you look ahead to the upcoming F1 schedule. As we said, uh the return or uh, Monza coming up this week, but uh some returns with Imola, the Nürburgring and a new track in Portugal on the schedule uh upcoming here. Out of those three tracks, which race are you most excited for? Oh my God. Uh, so many, I, I would, I'm excited for Imola in all honesty. I, I really am. I love that racetrack. I've driven on it myself. It's incredible. Um, and Mugello. I'm excited to see these guys go to Mugello for sure, because that's a fast racetrack, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of really fast flowing corners. And I like it because we're going to these old school racetracks yes. where, uh, you know, if you're a racing driver and you make a mistake, you know, you're, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for that mistake. And, you know, these are things that have been removed from Formula One for a long time. And nothing against the Herman Tilka built racetracks, you know, nothing against any of that. But, I mean, there's a little to be desired from the, the risk factor, I would say. And, you know, I miss that excitement, in all honesty. Well, it's going to be a good schedule going forward. And IndyCar with a month off now, they return October 3rd at uh, Indianapolis. Tim Haraney is the TSN analyst. You can catch him there and on Twitter at Tim Haraney underscore. Sorry. Oh, no, just straight at Tim Haraney. Oh, and I got it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. And I also have a podcast as well, as well TSN Racing Pod. You can find that at tsn.ca slash tsn-racing-pod. You can also uh, listen to TSN Racing Pod wherever you get your podcast, and you can watch TSN Racing Pod on my Instagram channel, which is at Tim Haraney, or on my YouTube channel as well. There you go. I had them all down, but you beat me to it <laughs> because he's a racing car driver, and he'll get you your pizza in less than 30 minutes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your time, and, man, I can't, I can't wait for next year in Toronto with – James Hinchcliffe and Dalton Kellett full-time, Parker Thompson, Devlin DeFrancesco, and then Montreal, as we said, Lance Stroll and Nicholas Latifi. Yeah. And who knows, maybe Alex LeBay comes back for a Pinty's run. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, uh, all the best to you. I, I hope you stay well, and I appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, not a problem. Thanks again for having me out, man. I really appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. Tim Haraney, uh, TSN Racing Analyst.